Welcome again. It's a pleasure to be here and to be bringing this word to you this morning. Um, either I've been misled or you've been misled. So uh, Pastor Darrell and I'll have a punch up after the service and we'll decide which one's which. But uh, my understanding was that I'm actually giving you two commands that uh, Christ had this morning. And the first one is to abide in him. And the second one is to listen to him. And so because we're covering two, we're going to actually just skip across them and we're not going to take as much time in this passage that we've just read as we possibly could. There is just so much contained there. But I hope as we go through this, there'll be something that you can really apply to your life and that it will be a life-changing experience as a result. So just before we get into that, just allow me to pray. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your presence in this place this morning. Thank you that you go with us, you go before us. And Lord, you want to minister to us. You want to speak to us where we have our greatest need. And Lord, I just ask by power of Holy Spirit, you'll minister to each one of us as we have need. That you'll reveal to us the truth of your word. And that, Father, when we consider what it is like to abide in you, I pray that you'll call us closer to your side. I pray for every person here that we will move closer to you as a result of being here this morning and more than anything Lord my desire is that people will listen to you that is the second command we're looking at this morning and Lord I just ask that I'll disappear I'll fade into the background that your voice will be heard and Lord not only heard listening is about taking that word deep into our hearts and applying it to our lives and being transformed as a result will you do that for us this morning Lord in Jesus name amen for some unknown reason we as a people of God, the church have created a primary focus within most congregations, well, the ones that I've been experienced in anyway, that it is all about converting people to Christ. That's everything that we are called to do. And when I came to faith as a young man, I had one of those insurance policy type conversions where I was so scared I just gave my life to Christ. It didn't really mean too much. But on top of that, no one discipled me. No one told me what my life with Jesus was all about. No one told me that there was an expectation that after I gave my life to Christ, that there was this life that you could live after that that was incredible. That Jesus wanted to walk alongside you. He wanted to encourage you. He wanted to equip you. He wanted to just be your all in all. And no one told me that. No one taught me how to read the Bible. No one taught me how to pray. And that's been my experience in the 50 years I've been in church. And I think if we were to think about it, most of us would have to agree that our discipling within God's church has been very, very poor. And I, as a leader of the church now, want to apologise to you. We have failed you. We haven't done what we should do as church leaders. I'm not saying that's as a blanket covering. That's my experience. And I've been in a number of churches. And I know it's been the experience of the people that I speak with who really don't understand how to apply Scripture to their life. They don't understand that Jesus wants to be a part of each and every day. They don't understand that church is not about this. Church is you. Church is you taking his word out into our communities, in the workplace, in the schools, in the universities, in your neighborhoods. And he wants you to do that. But you can't do that if we don't teach you. And so we come this morning and we see... That's not what the Bible taught us. Even when we think about the Great Commission, it doesn't say, go ye therefore into all the world and make converts and tally them up on the wall so you can say we're a great church. It says go and make disciples. We have that Christian cliche that we all know. 
A disciple is a disciplined follower of Christ. We say it, but do we believe it? Do we understand what it means to be a disciplined follower of Christ? And do we take that so seriously as mature Christians and say, you know what? I'm going to disciple someone. I'm going to tell them about my life in Christ. I'm going to tell them about how Jesus has transformed my life because I don't want them to have a life like I did where I'm floundering. I I, I needed to learn how to pray. I needed to learn how to read the word myself. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking about your relationship with Christ, you're thinking about how you relate to him, And as you think about that, you're looking back on a conversion experience and that's all you've got. We've got a problem. I find it interesting when I say to people, give me your testimony. I don't want to insult anyone, but there'd be people here who go, well, back in 1953, I went to a youth gathering and I gave my life to Jesus. That's the strength of their testimony. And when I ask you, this is pre-warning too, mind you. When I ask you about your testimony, what Christ is doing in your life, I'm not talking about some historical event. I'm talking about what is Jesus doing in your life in the here and now. How are you engaging with him? How are you presenting him to the world around you? How is he working through you? What are the divine appointments in your life which he will give you each and every day if you pray for them? And you know what? You don't need to be a biblical scholar to do that. You don't need to know scripture inside out because you talk about the experience of Christ in you. But you know what? You start doing it and you start doing, seeing the things that Christ will do through your life and suddenly his word comes alive to you. As you want to engage more with him throughout your day, you want to read your word more. You begin to pray more. You, you come across situations and people will say things to you and you find yourself praying automatically. Can I encourage you to... Just as part of all of this, if someone comes up to you during our time together as people of God and they express a situation or a problem, something that is bothering them, don't say you're going to pray with them. Sit down with them. Pray with them. There and then. Let's be encouragers and uplifters of each other. And if you're anything like me, when I used to say, I'll pray for you, I'd forget about it and I wouldn't pray for them until I saw them next time and I'd go, Ooh, I hope they don't ask me if I was praying for them. But anyway, when we think about our conversion experience, in the reality of what Scripture tells us, our conversion experience is just a blip in our life with Christ for most of us. There is those deathbed experiences, and I'm not going to say that they're not correct or anything like that. But for most of us who are living our lives for Christ, the conversion experience is just one blip, a fantastic blip, mind you. It's it's where we change what we are going to do. But when we think about our entire lives... This is just the point where we came to recognize who our Lord and Savior was. And we've called Jesus our Lord and Savior, and he gives us direction and purpose for our lives. We should have moved from a place where we were happy to be our own kings. We should have moved from a place where I was happy to do my own thing to a place where I want to serve him. I want to see his kingdom grown. I want to see his name glorified, not just in my life, but in the life of those around me. That's where we should get to. I want to turn away from that life that I once embraced to the life that Christ would have me to live. And I tell you what, I had a lot of fun before I knew Jesus. But I am so much more content and happy where I am right now. And we're told to take up our cross and follow him. 
Do we think about that? Do we think about the fact that a man who has a cross on his back has no rights or privileges as his own? That's all gone. And when you take up your cross, there's one path that you can walk. You don't move to the left, you don't move to the right. It's set. And when we think about taking up our path for Christ, taking up our cross for Christ, the path that is set, we should neither sway left nor right. It is his call upon our life. It is his purposes and for his glory. And we should be willing to say, because of all that he's done for us, I'm willing to make that sacrifice. I'm willing to follow him wherever he leads, whatever he does. I don't want to overemphasize this point, but when we talk about our lives as Christians... And the only experience we have with Jesus is that historical transaction. And there's no ongoing expression of Christ in our lives. There really is something wrong. And I'm not going to beat you over the head with a baseball bat. I'm going to pray with you if that's what you want. Please come and see me after the service. I would love to pray with you and encourage you and strengthen you. But if that's our experience, there's something wrong. And we test it against the word that we've already read this morning. It would show that we're coming up incredibly short. You're going to be delighted to know I've only got two points in this morning's message. Hallelujah. Yeah, they're the two points that I was given to preach on. So the first one is abide in me. Abide in me. What's it mean to abide in Christ? Well, we've got a couple of extracts from the passages we read this morning, and uh, we'll just have a very quick look at those. So John 15:4 says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. John 15, 9-10 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. And John 8, 31 and 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. And in this passage from John 8, we're told that we are truly Jesus' disciples if we abide in him and in his word. And if that is the definition of a disciple, then Jesus himself speaks, that's what Jesus himself speaks, then there are obviously those who appear to be disciples and are not. Think about what that word is saying. If you are not abiding in me, then you are truly not my disciples. It would be a rational conclusion, wouldn't it? And Jesus demands that we abide in him. In the language of the New Testament, this means to stay, to continue or dwell in Christ. To stay or continue or dwell in Christ. And think about what is being said here. If we are disciples of Christ, and just to clarify, so there's no confusion, if we say we're Christians, we're saying we're disciples of Christ. It's not an exclusive club. Then Jesus calls us to stay in him, to continue in him, and to dwell in him. 
He is to be our point of call for everything that we need in life. We are to depend totally upon him. There should be a resolve in each one of our lives to acknowledge Jesus Christ as our all in all. And it's not because of who we are. It's not because of what we can offer him. It's because of who he is and everything that he has done for us. And if we are to abide in Christ, it stands to reason that there is this incredible transformation in our life in going from our old life to our new life and following him. And it seems we're living this age and culture where we're very self-sufficient. And so many of us seem to have a pocket Jesus or Jesus in a bottle. And when things go a little bit pear-shaped, that's when we pull him out. That's when we call upon him. That's when we ask for him to help us out of this given situation. And so it's only in these desperate times that we actually call upon Christ. And when things are motoring along okay, we seem to forget him and just push him into the corner and just rely upon ourselves and our own strengths and abilities. And just think about what we read earlier in John 15, 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And we're provided with this image of a vine and it's no coincidence that I think Jesus was around the temple at the time and there was this incredible vine at the front of the temple. And Je It's a gold vine. And Jesus talks about this vine and we are the branches that are grafted into the vine. That's what Jesus' redemptive work does. And when we talk about redemption, it's Christ dying on the cross so that we could have a relationship with him. So we're grafted in as a result of acknowledging Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. You possibly think I'm going back to teach you like kids at school. But where is the source of life for those branches that are grafted in? Where is all the sustenance coming from? And it can only come from the vine. There's a lot of external forces that come into play upon the vine. We've seen that ourselves. There's lots of things that influence the way the vine grows and things like that. But the true life, the only thing that really gives life to the vine, to the branches, sorry, is the vine. They have to be plugged in. They have to be getting their source from there. And so the only way the branches can produce fruit is if it remains plugged into that vine. And this metaphor Jesus is using, it's him that's the vine. We're the branches that are grafted in. And it describes perfectly our need to be attached to Jesus like the branch of the vine is. And we need to continue to receive that spiritual food, that life that Christ provides for us, so that we can live the lives that he calls us to live. And our Christian lives are lives which God, through Holy Spirit, cause us to grow. And in order for us to grow, we have to acknowledge that we're totally dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I think there's this bit of a myth that Christianity is about acknowledging who Jesus is. Satan's hordes know who Jesus is. They acknowledge who he is. 
and they know they're in trouble come the end times. So Christianity is not about knowing who Jesus is. It's about abiding in him, being connected to him, allowing him to speak to our innermost hearts and souls, allowing him to minister to us so we can be fruitful for him, acknowledging him as Lord and Saviour. And all of this is done in order that we bear fruit. And there's also another reason. We have to remain in the vine. Because if we don't, we risk being separated from the vine, being removed from the vineyard, and ultimately being destroyed altogether. If we look at John 15, 6, it says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers. And the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and they're burned God's word not Charlie's word and there needs to be a bit of a clarification here there's no test for the quantity of fruit that is produced as a result of being part of the vine but there's an expectation we do produce producing fruit is a byproduct of a vine that is of a branch that's plugged into the vine if it doesn't produce fruit it needs to be pruned it needs to be cut off altogether it needs to be discarded but if we open ourselves up to Christ to his guidance his leading and if we submit to his will then his life will throw flow through us and when we think about the life that Christ lived while here on earth if we're allowing his life to flow through us then the lives around us would have to be changed there's no other option it would have to happen and fruit will be produced so how do we ensure that we are abiding in Christ what's it look like in practical terms so we're told to abide in his love and we're told to abide in his word and I think many of us are caught up in the circumstances of life. There's so many things that crowd in upon us. And we often question whether Jesus really loves us or not. And I can tell you that I've been approached by people who ask this question on a regular basis. There's people in this congregation who ask that question, does Jesus really love me? I just don't sense it anymore. I just don't feel it anymore. And if we commit to abiding in Christ's love, we'll make that one of the convictions upon which we stand upon. We have to be willing to say, even when I don't feel like it, Jesus still loves me. We have to be able to see that in Scripture and make this one of the things that we stand on, even in the most difficult of times. And John 15, 12 to 13 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love, greater love, has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus came that we may have eternal life with him and his motivation in doing that was his great love for us and God's great love for us and there's nothing we can do nothing that will make Jesus love us less do you believe that we should there's nothing you can do that will cause him to love you less he was willing to die for each one of us and he wanted to restore us into relationship with God he made a way where for me there was no way. I was hopeless, useless, 
worthless in my own eyes, but Jesus loved me so much, he stepped into this world and he made a way so I could have relationship with him and his heavenly father. And he didn't only do that, he calls me his son. It blows my mind. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We have equal rights with the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot believe that. But that is how much God loves us. Do you believe that? He loves us. It it should shock us to our core. It should move our hearts. So when we say we abide in Jesus, we need to believe he loves us. We need to stand upon that promise. It's an incredible truth for me. An incredible truth. And it's a truth for you as well. You need to claim it as your own. And think about how messy our lives are. Man, I think about how messed up I was. Some of you have heard those stories. I can't tell them without tearing up. But we had pretty messed up lives and Jesus loved me anyway. And he didn't say, Charlie, clean yourself up and then we'll sort things out and I may offer you something down the track. He didn't say, you know what, you've got to come to this certain spirituality, you know, read the Bible the entire way through for 12 months and uh, perhaps say a few prayers, then we'll think about whether you can become part of my kingdom and be my son and whether I'm going to love you in the midst of that. He, He didn't do any of that. He comes in the midst of the mess. He says, I love you. You don't have to do anything. He, he, he loves us regardless. And he, he just wants to pour that out upon you. He wants you to know it. He wants you to understand that his love comes to you each and every day. And so in the midst of your problems, we should return continuously to Christ. Sometimes that's just as a blubbering mess on the floor. Trust me, I've been there. And Jesus is still present and he still lets you know that he loves you. Sometimes it's, you just don't know your way forward. You don't know what to pray. But Jesus is still present and he still loves you. Sometimes you have to come to him when things are going super well because you've lost your dependence upon him and you need to come back to him and repent and ask him to be that influential part in your life again. And the thing is he will continually pour his love and grace and mercy out upon us. That's what he does. He's a good father. That's who he is. And I'm loved by him. And just like we're called to abide and trust in Jesus' love, we're called to abide in his word. And this is more than just keeping his commandments. This is about trusting what Jesus said and believing it as a word for you as an individual. It's not for someone else. It's not for a more spiritual person. It's not for the pastors. It's not for the church leaders. It is for you as an individual, where you are, right here, right now. And this is about dwelling in his word so much that you see the truths that are revealed there and we claim them for our own. Our lives are transformed as a result because we're no longer swayed to and fro by those people who question our faith. We stand upon the convictions that Christ has given us through his words. We stand upon the fact that he has given us promises that we can trust. Can anyone show me in scripture, especially from the Old Testament, prophecies that never came true? Can you think about the fact that when God speaks, the stuff happens? We can depend upon that. And this book is a book that speaks about all the things that God said. And he says things about each one of us as individuals that he is going to keep his word to. He can be trusted. 
Just think about the lives that are here this morning, the lives that will be changed if each of you took what we've already heard as Jesus' powerful word for you. If you could claim that and know that Jesus is speaking directly to you, it would change your lives. It would transform your communities. You are loved by Christ. You are valued by him. You are precious in his eyes. And he paid an incredible price so you could be with him. Do we understand that? When everyone else rejects you, and they will, he wants you. And it's not just a flippant little phrase. He really wants you as part of his life, part of his kingdom, part of his community. And there's so many things that hold us back from being all that we can be for Christ. We listen to those voices in our heads that tell us we aren't able. We aren't good enough. We're worthless, useless, valueless. And the sad thing is we listen to them. We believe those voices. But what happens if we listen to Jesus? You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The truth sets us free from sin. The truth sets us free from a lack of faith. The truth sets us free from self-loathing. The truth sets us free from doubt. The truth sets us free from fear. The truth sets us free from insecurity. The truth sets us free from worthlessness. But you can only find that truth and claim it for yourself if you abide in Christ and abide in his word. The second command we're looking at this morning is listen to me. Don't listen to me, listen to God. Listen to me. And Luke 10, 38 to 42 says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken away from her. And this is an incredible story that we've got before us, and I think we can all sympathize with Martha. I'm just like Martha. I mean, if Jesus came to my house, I'd possibly be in a mad flat bossing Elena around to make sure that we put the best meal on the table before him. I would want everything to be absolutely perfect. I mean, come on, this is Jesus. He doesn't come to your house every day. This is a pretty awesome event. And you get out the best crockery. Oh, we don't have any. Let's go buy some. You know? But I would want the best to put before him. And I would be so caught up with the details of making sure that this was a great experience that I'd be a little bit distracted. I'd, I'd, I'd be wanting to get that right. And I think that's exactly what we do. 
I think we are so distracted by the things that are around us in this world, we fail to acknowledge the thing that really matters. And I, I, I think this has been a revelation for me in recent times. And you hear about these people who get up early in the morning and spend an hour, an hour and a half or two hours with Christ. And I think, what a load of rot. How can you possibly do that? And I committed to do that a while ago. And I've got to tell you, I am committing more and more time in the morning to spend with Christ because I find I'm not having enough time to spend with Christ. You know, we're spending about an hour and a half, two hours with Christ. I'm like, where did that time go? I've got so much more I want to do in the midst of this. And it's because I'm meeting with Jesus. I'm understanding what he's saying to me. I'm spending time with him. I'm dwelling in his word and I'm engaging with him. And the other stuff, it's all clamoring for my attention, but it really doesn't matter. I mean, think about this. Martha's stressing about the food that she's going to put before the creator, the guy that made it all anyway. Seems a bit silly when you look at it that way. And one thing, in the midst of all of this, one thing is necessary to listen to Jesus. And in the midst of all the stuff that's going on in our lives, even when you're pressed for time, even when there's stuff crowding in upon you, and you've got 12 hours work to do in eight hours of the day, trust me, those times, that time will be more beneficial if you do take the time to spend with Christ. That is the one thing that matters. Spending time with Jesus. That is the one thing that is necessary to listen to him. And there's great significance in this passage of scripture that we can often overlook because we know the story, we love it, and and we just skip over some of the finer details that are here. But this is one of three series of scripture that Luke writes dealing with three aspects of our relationship with God. And in 10, 25 to 37, he speaks about how we are to relate to our neighbors. And then in 11, 1 to 3, he covers how we are to engage in dialogue with God. And here, he speaks about how we use to, to use our time with God with the Lord and when we look at this passage about Mary and Martha it's obvious that Martha is slaving away preparing a meal for Jesus and the others and in the midst of this we find Mary totally oblivious to the stress that Martha is under inconsiderately sitting at Jesus feet doing nothing that's the way Martha interprets it anyway and Martha makes the decision to get Jesus to help her in making Mary support her She's got this awesome ministry of hospitality and food preparation. And her implication is that Jesus doesn't care. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? This is little doubt that the expectation is that Jesus will come alongside Martha and say, you know what, you're right, Mary, get out there and help. And we know that Jesus does care, hey. And Martha, she's not doing this for herself. She's preparing a meal for the Lord. So it's obvious that Jesus would side with her. And we see that Martha was so irritated by the fact that she has to raise this point. It's obvious that Mary's deserted her. She's not doing the right thing. Martha needs help. And Mary should be the one that's doing it. And Jesus, Jesus should be telling her to do it. Listen carefully to what's said in this passage. 
Martha may think that what she's doing is important, but Luke has a few things to say about that. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, supposedly doing nothing of value. Martha doing all the work. But the negative here is on Martha. Mary was at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching. And Martha was distracted. And I think the thing to note here too is the word distracted is that she was trying to listen to Jesus but there were so many other things that crowded in upon her that she was drawn away from that. And we see Jesus' rebuke. It's very gentle. Anytime you see two names together like this, it's a gentle rebuke. And Jesus loves Martha in the midst of this. And it's like, Martha, Martha, you're anxious about many things and troubled. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good will not be taken from her and Jesus emphasizes with Martha he paints a picture of a woman who was overwhelmed by the task before her she's anxious and troubled about many things her focus is on that preparation and the tasks that are before her and she's overwhelmed and it goes from better to worse because she tries to drag a sister into the same situation the problems that she's had in her misplaced ministry and Jesus sets out to correct her and Jesus commands commands what Mary chose to do She's chosen the one thing that counts, to sit at Jesus' feet. We're going to have to wrap up, sorry guys. But I want to just share one story for you. I'm not a great pastor. I'm not a great Christian. I'd love to be saying that I, I just go off for days on end, spending time with the Lord and so I can minister to you better. And I remember part of our week of E, week of experience, which all pastors have to do as they go through the Baptist Union, was to go to Bridgman Downs. And I spent some time with Peter Sweetman there. I was pretty ticked off, actually, because I wanted to go onto the streets of Brisbane and do some evangelism and stuff there, but that got canned, so I had to go to Bridgman Downs. I mean, what a letdown, let's face it. And this Peter Sweetman dude, who I'd never met, he had this program sorted out for us, and he gave us a passage of Scripture. We didn't get to pick it. He gave us a passage of Scripture, and he said, right, after I finish talking to you, I don't want you to talk to anyone. I don't want you even to say a word. I don't want anything vocal to occur for the next two hours. I want you to read that word. And when you finish reading it, I want you to read it again. And I want you to just rest in that. I want you to hear what God is saying to you. I want you to dwell upon scripture. Abide in that word. What a load of rubbish. Haven't we got better things to do with our time? I mean, seriously, one passage of scripture, two hours, don't speak to anyone? I gotta tell you, man, I came back with like three pages of stuff. I was scribbling all over them, back, front, upside down, up the side, through the passage of scripture. It was an incredible time. And I stand here and I tell you how amazing that was to actually abide in God's word, to spend time just me and him talking through what he's saying to me, what he's really saying in his word. And it was the most incredible experience. And you know what? I've hardly done it again. I've hardly been able to allocate that time and say, I've got to spend more time with you, Christ. But I'll tell you what, when we do, when we do, he speaks to us in a way he has never spoken to us before. And it's almost like in the midst of what we do, we read his word, we pray to him, we study to him, we get little snippets. But when we're willing to allocate a chunk, let's say half a day, a day, just spending time with him, no other interruptions. It's a struggle for the first half hour, hour. And if you stick to it, he will open your hearts, open your minds to what he wants to say to you and your mind will be blown away. 
And you will begin to have this incredible relationship with Christ that you've never had before because you begin to understand what it means to have him as your Lord and Saviour. My friends, we are called to abide in Christ. And we're called to listen to him. I don't need to say any more. I just hope that Christ has spoken to you this morning. That there's something that's moved in your heart and you want change. You want to draw closer to him. If that's you, come down the front for prayer. There's pastors here. There's faithful Christian people here who would love to pray with you. Love to encourage you. And if we can get you resources that are going to help you to connect better with Christ, we would love to do that for you. I'm just going to close in prayer. Worship team's going to come up. And... uh, I just hope you have a great day. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your blessings upon us. Thank you that you've given us your word, which have your commands contained within them. Father, will you open our eyes during this series to what you're saying to each one of us. Father, I believe you have a word for each and every one of us. And this morning, Lord, I just pray that you help us to abide in you. I pray that we'll have a desire to move closer to you. I pray that we'll allocate time where we can just sit and listen to what you have to say. So often in our lives, Lord, it's more about here I am, Listen to me, God. And Father, we want to take a step back from that. We want to apologize. It's not about me filling the void. It's not about me praying mindless prayers. We want to hear from you. We want to engage with you. We want more of you. Lord, I pray for every person here that that may be their prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.